the most anyone had heard of was gay and maybe bisexual in school and stuff and like I went to a country school and that wasn't accepted like yeah. I was I was the first out gay at the time I thought um, person in my school like ever and uh, I, I had to go through a loss because of that I think it's really interesting what you said though you never actually know what people are like I highly yeah. doubt Layla that you were the only gay person in that oh, school oh I wasn't you were probably the only person who was essentially brave enough to be themselves <laughs> Welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome to studio my guest panellists for this week. Journalist with the Sunday Independent, Neve Horan is here and writer and blogger Leila Beatty is here as well. You're very welcome to the show. Good morning. Before we kick things off, let's get into our favourite game. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less and it's for our listeners and readers of Her.ie who may not know who you are. So who are we going to go to first? We'll go to Neve first because I feel like you're a little more prepared than Leila maybe. <laughs> Well, actually, I thought this was about um, our personalities so or us, rather than our jobs. I oh, mean, no, it, can, it is. It can be like any kind of words that you would use to describe yourself. Some people use professional job stuff and then other people just okay, say random well, crap. OK, I got this completely <laughs> wrong, but I said can't describe me in six words because it's just very difficult to summarise anybody in six words. That's, I know it sounds like a pain. but No, like, that's a good one. And to be honest, Neve, you're not the first person who said that. Really? Because, uh, yeah. Alison Spittle said it as well. So, Brilliant. Yeah, okay. so you and her, that's fine. Good company. And that's a good one as well. Leila, what do you think? Oh, God, how do I top that one? <laughs> um, I think... Strong, compassionate, um, ambitious, um, honest, and I can't come up with two more. So. That's fine. See, that's why it's six words or less. <laughs> They're great words. Thank you. Neve. you are a very well-known journalist in Ireland. You write for the Sunday Independent. I've actually always wanted to meet you. Isn't that kind of, it's kind of a creepy thing, but I've been following your career for a while. Some people do as well, but not for a good, for a good reason. I you mean, know? I suppose it's fair to say that you divide opinion. Is that a kind of a fair thing to surmise? That's fair, absolutely. Did you always know that you wanted to be a journalist? Always, always. Really? Yeah, yeah since I was a kid. Yeah, my parents got the papers every day and I just was, was the highlight of the day and just... Uh, we just absolutely ate them up when they came in. There was a fight yeah. over who got them first. And um, I wrote a lot as a kid. And then when I um, was a teenager, I decided, um, yeah, this is what I want to do. And I just sat down and wrote a letter to every single media organisation I can think of. Handwritten. And, uh, handwritten right. and got the names of the... And this is, by the way, would be a tip for anybody mm-hmm. uh, wanting to get into any job get the names of the people that you're you know are in charge in the main newsroom whether it's a news editor or whatever or whatever line of business you're getting into and then I followed it up with a phone call and then I got lots of work experience out of that and I worked for free during school from when I was about 15 and then during college again so by the time I came out then mm. I had a big kind of like bulk stuff around yeah. it because grades are grades at the end of the day everybody comes out now with good grades especially millennials when they're all coming out and they're like well done you I know, know. Here's your, you kind of need something else you, almost you need like experience you know yeah. and so I know there's a lot of talk about you know giving out about um, you know people wanting to students to work for free in that but I'm a big believer because I think that's where you you um, kind of you learn your trade before you get in I mean it, it has changed though now as in people aren't working for free anymore and sometimes I do kind of look back at when I was working for free and think Jesus Christ I can't believe I did that amount of work for nothing but like that it did 
build up my CV and it also kind of I think prepared me for maybe working in the real world and, and kind of knowing your worth as well but it's just not done anymore Absolutely. See, I, like I did it because I love doing it and I yeah. think if you love you know if money there, there's a great uh, video by um, Alan Watts and he says what would you do if money was no object because yeah. sometimes people say right I want to I'll work 9 to 5 to get the money to do what I love the weekend yeah. where you should just be doing that at the first place and then they say you'll never work it in your life which is not always true but it, it makes things a lot easier and what was the story that you got the most abuse about? Uh, loads. You can't put them in one. I'll tell you the one I was happiest with. I wrote a, a column um, years and I didn't get any traction. It didn't yeah. get any whatever. But I wrote a column years ago on abortion, mm-hmm. which is kind of quite timely. Absolutely. And um, a man in his 80s um, wrote to me. He was in Donegal and uh, he said to me um, that I, I had changed his, his mind. So wow. I still have that letter. So that would be, to me, that's one of the most important things that yeah. I feel I've done and the rest is just kind of... So you it know. doesn't really matter about the amount of trolls that you get on Twitter and stuff if you kind of get a letter like that. that and yeah. So it makes it all worth while about yeah well yeah. they're the I mean you have to when you get into something that's in the public domain a little bit you have yeah. to decide at the start am I going to listen to trolls or not and everybody faces this you yeah. know and the thing is if you're going to listen to all the bad if you're going to listen to all the good you have to listen to all the bad so I, I actually don't listen to the good either when people come up and say oh well done or I like that I actually don't really believe it I probably believe the trolls a bit more but yeah. um, I have to work and not doing that but um, uh, so I just cut it all out but that was the one somebody took the time to write in put their name to it put their address to it yeah. and uh, to say that you know that, that it meant a lot to them so they're the type of things that um, that stand out you know Yeah you touched on something interesting there just about kind of um, listening to the good and the bad and we will come back to that in a little while Leila you're a model and a blogger and you've also written a couple of selections of essays and mm-hmm. um, the first one was called Who Cares and the second one is called Just Saying and they're largely focused on being transgender in Ireland and you also write a lot about it on your blog LaylaTalks.com so when was it that you now we were talking about kind of millennials and talking about working for free back in the day I'm not going to ask you what year you were born in because you should never ask people your age but maybe you might be a little bit younger than me and Neve, but we'll just leave it at that so when did you decide that you wanted to kind of go public with your story the minute I realised that I was going to transition and stuff like the first thing I saw was that there was nobody there in Ireland that had a story that I could identify with as a young person and as someone who grew up in the time that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I could kind of help people um, a little bit. Um, I was like, because it was just so hard. They're like researching in Ireland what to do or anything. There was nothing there. Um, yeah. There was no one kind of saying like, you can come out of this okay. There was just none of it. Um, and the healthcare system was just such um, a confusing kind of thing. So it was really important for me to kind of show people like the journey as it goes on and that you can kind of survive and, and did get you, through it. Did you have support from your family from the outset? From yeah, from day one. They okay. were so brilliant. Um they weren't very surprised. <laughs> so right. uh but they like they went in and did the research, like my mum in particular she found out what to do and everything like I don't think I could have done that on my own um, because there's just so much to it And is it about going to your GP is that kind of the first step in terms of the actual transition process? It can be um, but you actually have to go to a psychologist first um, because the psychologist will refer you to the Mm -hmm. gender clinic Um, you have to be assessed 
before anything else so you could go to your GP and they could refer you to a psychologist yeah. or you could just seek one out yourself And so in the last kind of few years then um, since you've been open and kind of writing about it on your blog what has the reaction been from other people have, have a lot of people been reaching out to you in Ireland? Uh, yeah I I would have the odd kind of transgender person reach out but what was kind of unexpected is that a lot of cis people would read it and kind of understand a bit more and stuff yeah. which it's not something I set out to do but I kind of like that yeah um and yeah like I have a lot of young people who would have my number now and stuff and we'd they'd kind of text me when they need advice and stuff like that and that's been a really meaningful thing that I've been able to do as well which I kind of didn't expect um like people in school and stuff who are yeah. transitioning like and I wouldn't have any personal experience of that but I'm sure it's really difficult and yeah. um like the stories I hear are very upsetting sometimes but overall the reaction has been so positive um, to my story and stuff and I'm really honoured that people have kind of identified with it. I mean we were talking there slightly about kind of online and social media and stuff like that and obviously that's kind of a huge driving force behind any information that we get nowadays so do you get any kind of visceral stuff online? Yeah, no, I definitely would. Um, YouTube is kind of a cesspit for that, I find, since yeah. I started my um, YouTube channel. So you're doing, is it vlogging or is it just videos on YouTube? It's just kind of videos, okay. um, kind of similar to my essays, just kind of yeah. talking. Um, but like recently I had a right wing vlogger right. Um, target me, um, like he made a video all about me. Like, um, wow. And that was really rough. Um, it was just, it was kind of like a bad time. Anyway, like I was in um, a programme for a day programme for my anorexia and stuff and like he basically looked at me and pointed out all these kind of awful things that like you'd think about yourself in your darkest moments Mm -hmm. and stuff Um, so that was really 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 rough Um, but thankfully he didn't he wasn't informed enough to kind of name me or say where to find me so his following didn't come and get me Um, thankfully so it's, it's been kind of that isolated incident and then the comment section I mean that's kind of uh, I mean do you know that that's going to happen are you kind of expecting it uh, yeah I think I sort of think because of the time that I grew up in like I Twitter and Facebook and stuff would have come out when I was like 12, 11 right. so I would have been on that the whole time and I okay. think I learned pretty early on that like people don't necessarily mean what they say on social media or like they're they're a lot braver than they would yeah. be um, so I think I was very used to that by the time I started kind of um, being out there in the public sector a little bit more um, so I yeah it, it doesn't really affect me um, like I know it's just kind of words and stuff like that um, that's great I mean I don't think I'd be able to do it to be honest with you as in like Neve, I know you've spoken to people as well I think I saw something from a couple of years ago and you almost I wouldn't call it a fight but you kind of got into a, a something with Vogue about um, body shaming and, and she was she was saying something about oh that was mild myself and Vogue were chatting up I've gotten into a lot worse you oh, know what I mean in really? terms of trolls and yeah but yeah. see this is the thing and you said something which you said earlier you are like if you're going to put yourself out there you have to take the good with the bad the thing is I think it's happened to me once that I was trolled about something when I was in radio years ago and it really affected me for the whole day and that's why literally when when I'm on Twitter and stuff I only talk about work I never really get into anything because it does affect me when people talk about me now that's just a personal choice that I've made I just don't think I'm made to, to kind of deal with that Yeah, I think um, 
see the thing like you talk about putting yourself out yeah. there yeah that that phrase kind of gets me because like you can, how can you put yourself out there like even if you go out one day and you do a, a show or yeah. you do an interview you're somebody's only seen one part of you for mm-hmm. a couple of hours a day of the part that you're you want to present that particular day no, no it's very difficult to kind of define that's what we talked about yeah. at the start of the show or to be able to sum somebody up you know so I mean at the end of the day it's all only opinions and stuff at the start it didn't bother me at all right yeah. And the problem I have with it is, thank God, by the way, Independent um, have switched the comments off. I don't know what it is for legal reasons or whatever, but I have found that much better now because okay. you can't help but look, I think, in a lot of the time mm. if anybody else is the same. And what I found is that, like, it, it didn't bother me at the start, and I've spoken about this before, but over time, when you've got thousands of them over yeah. time, it does, when you sit down to write a piece, it's you start to self-censor. You mm-hmm. start to say, okay, I'm not going to put out this because it's going to, it's not worth it. And that's the worst thing and as I'll a journalist, get, obviously. The worst thing. And yeah. it's just, it's the worst thing for society as well. We can't have an open, honest conversation then. If you talk about, look at the Patty Jackson, Stuart Olding yeah. trial recently, I covered that. And I can't, can't, I've lost count of the amount of times that I sat down and tried a piece over that mm-hmm. and, you know, thought about publishing things because you literally can't say anything anymore without. Yeah. And people, the, probably the worst insult I feel that gets my back up is when people go, ah, she's just looking for a reaction, she's looking for attention. That's not it at all. If it, you, I would actually say a lot more if I didn't think it was going to come back. Yeah. You know, in in such a in such a negative way. But I think that it's it's kind of it's stifling conversation a lot. So I've noticed over time, all of that would build up in the back of my head. You don't really, you know. I spoke to a journalist about this recently. You got a very visceral reaction to a piece that he wrote. Yeah. And he said, "Oh, it doesn't bother." I said, "You wait till the next article. You sit down, or you wait in two months' time. You're going to start trying censoring yourself. And if that's the way people want to go, and if that's the way people want." society to be well then all well and good but I just don't think and so does it like bother you then I mean if that was a kind of a tame one that you that you had with Vogue does it bother you when, when these people are, are coming out and being like you can't say that about me like people can and you said it's just their opinion people can kind of say whatever they well, see, want this is the thing as well mm-hmm. I don't want to stop people saying things either I mean when I go on like I went on a TV3 show the other night right and I came mm-hmm. off and I saw comments about my appearance okay did that um, hurt me for probably a split second and then I say would I would I stop that person saying what they want to say no mm. because I can't you can't go out into the world every day and go I don't want you to treat me like this I don't want you to, to speak to me like this you can't change anybody else's behaviour you can only change your attitude and then the thing that. is if you saw a comment where you know they were like wow she looks great you yeah. probably would have gone hmm, just yeah. a little bit because yeah. you're human but you could so you can I mean I don't agree with all of this censoring online yeah. either and people saying that you know um, uh, you know policing speech in that I yeah. do think you should have as much freedom of speech as possible as long as it's not hate speech or anything like that but um, you just need people need to get a bit tougher yeah. and to work on themselves to not kind of take things on board as much because the world is always going to be cruel you're not going to change it you can only change your attitude towards it that's kind of sad but it's very very true mm. um, speaking of cruel uh, we're going to talk about this cervical check scandal that's happening at the moment so during the week the Taoiseach announced that a redress scheme for women affected by this um, is being set up and only today actually it's Friday today this will be going out on Monday they announced that free smear tests and GP visits will be made available for all women to alleviate you know the fears that are happening at the moment because of this so obviously this comes on the back of the revelation that 17 women whose cases were part of a review of smear tests have died and all of these women had a cancer diagnosis after receiving clear results in an earlier screening. So 
I mean, I think it's important for us to talk about this for a couple of reasons. We actually did an episode there a while ago on the importance and it was during um, Cervical Awareness Week, Cervical Cancer Awareness Week. And I actually documented my own smear test and it was brilliant because lots of women got in touch with me and and sent me pictures of their um, letter that they had gotten. And they were like, I booked my test because of that episode because I was putting it on the long finger and I'd forgotten about it. So I was like, that's brilliant. That's great. And now all of this has come out. So I think it's important that we talk about, I suppose, as a journalist, Neve, like how has the breaking of a story like this to do with a health service and women like how is it kind of sitting with you oh, it's an incredible story I mean you yeah. really it took everybody um, completely just, by yeah, surprise yeah. and uh, I think the what's made it is um, the fact that she's been so powerful speaking mm-hmm. about it you know this is um, Vicky Phelan that's right mm-hmm. yeah and she is just so strong like I mean you know I think somebody mentioned online we throw that word brave around but she really is like she has she has driven like single handedly driven the story on you mm-hmm. know and she's not letting it go which is great because so many people in authority and power get away with so much yeah and uh, she's, you know, she said that she she's going after them for this, and and she already has, even at her worst time, to have yeah. the wherewithal in that waiting room to look at your chart and go something doesn't uh, make sense mm-hmm. at that really low point. That it just goes to show the type of person she is. But I think it was fantastic as well that she said that please go and still get your smear test. It's really important that you do. You know what I mean? That she's being very responsible in that way because she knew people would listen to her rather than the health service. I mean, there's a reason that Vicky Phelan said still go and get your smear mm. test. Absolutely. it has worked to a point. Yeah. I think, but, yeah. But men, I mean, prostate cancer, mm-hmm. <clears throat> testicular cancer, I know it's a lot um, rarer but we have these big screening services. We have this free service that I, you go and get reminded every two years. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's kind of scary. I think what's scary for women at the moment mm. is that, you know, the information that's coming out is that things have been missed. And that's the thing I think that's really scary. And then the women who are being sent forward for these colposcopies, you know, that maybe had a clear smear a couple of years ago. Now it's like, well, was it in fact clear? Mm. And then there's the whole other thing that it was essentially being outsourced to yeah. America. And I think Vicky Phelan sued um, the lab that her test results went to originally. And that kind of was why it all it all kicked off. I would say that um, anybody who is concerned about that, though, the government did announce that you can go to a GP and you can get a free smear test if you want, even if it's not at the time for your cervical check uh, update, which I think is a good move for anybody because I think a lot of women in the country are scared at the moment. And um, We are going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about mermaids and pansexuality. Our spotlight on sport this week is something nice and different, which we do every now and again. I've never heard of pickleball. Orla O'Doherty Brown joined me earlier in the week to help me understand. So I love sports, but sometimes on our Spotlight on Sport, we talk about a sport that I know nothing about. Today is one of those days, so I'm delighted to have Orla O'Doherty-Brown in studio with me. And we're going to talk about pickleball, which until I met you, I didn't know was actually a thing. And I thought that you had actually just chosen two words and put them together. So we will get to pickleball in a moment. But before that, aside from pickleball, you are a former international squash player. You coached in the US for what? How many? years? I coached for 23 years 23 in the US. years yeah. before you came back into came my life. Home. So I tell know. me a little bit though about your squash career because we know I love to talk about squash. You so. do. And you know, you and I grew up in the same town and we didn't even realise Port Marnock. I know. I know it's mad. It's mad. And, um, so that's where I started playing when I was nine. Yeah. 
and from there I went on played for Leinster played for Ireland and then I turned pro when I was 18 yeah. and went to England for four years and tried to do the pro thing So you didn't go to college or anything you went straight on to Later the circuit Later life I did went okay. straight to the circuit and got to be number 69 in the world my favourite number so I thought I'd quit what I was ahead <laughs> <And> True story <laughs> Um, and then came home for about a year. My mother was not well and did a little bit of bartending, believe it or not. Wow. And then took off, won the green card in the lottery. Everybody applied. All my friends applied and I was the only one to win it. So, so you won that won random green randomly. card lottery. Yeah. Wow. Had no really aspirations to go to America, but there I was, landed 1993 mm-hmm. and started um, a college coaching career. I coached at Cornell University and Northeastern University and MIT in Boston and um, continued playing sort of yeah. at the amateur level and then won four or five national titles in the age groups for older people. And for older people. But literally blessed to have been able to coach for that yeah. long yeah. In, in, you know, prestigious clubs and, and colleges and then came home two years ago. So we're going to talk a little bit more about your own career maybe off the course in a little while because um, you do like to tell jokes, which uh, we might we might touch on. <laughs> but what is pickleball? So pickleball... Believe it or not, I know you've only heard it recently from me. It's been around about 50 years. Okay. And it was it was it started I think in Washington back in 1965 where a couple were out for the day they came home, they got bored, they wanted to play badminton, they couldn't find their shuttlecock, so they put up a badminton net, lowered it down, had a wiffle ball, which is an American sort of plastic okay, ball. Okay, there's holes. so many new words. I know. Okay. So so what what it is is it's sort of a cross between tennis, um table tennis and badminton. Yeah. And it's now the fastest growing sport in North America. Wow. And when I moved back with my partner, Debbie, we brought the nets and bats and balls with us. Yeah. And it's taken off in Port Marnock. So it's set up on a badminton court. Okay. It can be indoor or outdoor. Mm-hmm. It has a, a, t- a net like a tennis net that's low to the ground. Okay. The bats are sort of made of um, aluminium. They're, they're very small and just flat. There's no holes. There's no strings. Because they look like... They look like now. This could be ignorant of me, but they look like the bats that you would play like on a beach. Do exactly. you know? It's very, very similar. Okay, but it's not wooden. Yeah, no, They're not wooden. No, it's more sort okay. of um, fiberglass. Okay. Um, and the ball is a plastic ball, uh, about three times the size of a squash ball. Okay. With holes in it. Cheapers. Uh, yeah, it's it's such a great game. Does and, it make a crazy sound? It does. I would it's just a imagine that smacking sound. Okay, so it. not a game to play if you're maybe a bit hungover or something no, like that. No, especially you on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but um, I call it giant table tennis because it's literally oh, like playing yeah. table tennis, but you're standing up and you have you know these small bats close to your hand. Yeah, and generally it's doubles. It can be played singles. But it's it's more of a double sport. Um, now you've said to me before because my parents have played squash for years, and um, they had pretty much every surgery that you can have under the sun. Their knees were really affected by squash. It's a brutal game on the body, yeah. like we know that. Um, depending, and you have to mind yourself. And I think back in the day, a lot of people didn't mind themselves. So sometimes the impact of your knees on the court is too much for yeah. some people. So is pickleball a good alternative, maybe for people who've had to maybe stop playing tennis or stop playing squash for health reasons? Absolutely, and this is why it's becoming so popular with with people over forty five and above. Okay, um, it's easier on the body it's gentler because okay. it's doubles you're not having to do as, as much, much work. work yeah um it's it's um there's not as much overhead smashing in it it's a lot of underarm stuff and there's a word in pickleball called dinking dink where all four people are close to the net okay and there's an area uh between the net and and there's about a three foot window i want to say called the kitchen 
where you're not allowed to step in and volley. Okay. So the dinking. These rules are mental. The, the dinking is this sort of you're sort of you know very carefully sort of just pushing the ball over the net very gently and but you're trying to move each other and so it's 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 kind of strategic and yeah. a lot of fun but i recently was in multi farnham we played in the irish pickleball championships okay it's fantastic amazing um did you win we debbie and i got to the final debbie okay. and her uh, mixed partner won it which was great um but it the, the amount of people who were there i yeah. just couldn't believe it from you know age 35 and onwards wow okay um, but the the sort of the thing around it now is people think it's an older person's game yeah and while it is I was just watching the US Open last night on TV on the Pickleball channel believe it or not there is a Pickleball, a pickleball channel. channel and there was an over 25 age group and over 19 age group okay so these it's guys, starting to pick up and and what I was noticing is that the younger uh, players definitely have a faster paced game okay whereas the older people will you know they'd be doing the dinking and the mm. lobs and it's it's just lovely if ever you want to try it Niamh. it does sound lovely I, I do have to say there. is there a double bounce rule there is so what is that well, now come on research. I did a little so I did a little bit of research but to be fair now as a squash player and I try my hand on table tennis the odd time yeah. a double bounce rule sounds bonkers to me that's no n- I like, think you've misunderstood okay what the double bounce rule is I mean is. I did a little bit I didn't do, do a huge amount of research no no but the, yeah, it is called what happens is when you serve yeah and it has to bounce on the opposite side of the court mm-hmm. okay now the receiver will return that ball that has to be the second bounce so in other words you cannot serve and run in and volley the receiver's shot will come back to you you have to let it bounce so that's uh, what the double bounce is it's not that they can bounce the ball twice okay yeah because so for a just, second there I was just like yeah. nope I know you'd nope, never play I would never play yeah so I know that you and Debbie kind of brought like your bats do you call them bats yep you brought your bats and your nets and stuff over with you when you came back from America and I know that in Port Marnock our club it's yep. kind of becoming bigger and there's a lot more people playing there and obviously there's an Irish championship so if people want to get involved and to be honest with you when I googled it there's a huge amount online about pickleball it definitely yep. is I know you said it's the fastest growing sport in, in the North US America, yeah. I saw something like it's it's grown in the last year like 300 and something percent yeah which and is what, crazy and what you're seeing now is any um, sort of um, retirement homes that are being built they'll automatically put in 12 pickleball courts really yeah, instead of a golf course okay, but now we're trying to bring it back down we're trying to make age, it not old no I know <laughs> I know and so it, like you said if you wanted to try it Port Marnock either the community school on a Monday night at 7 or yeah. the leisure centre in Port Marnock um, Saturdays at 12 mm-hmm. but there's a guy named Michael McDade I just want to shout out to Michael sure. he's from Donegal and he's the, the king of pickleball Ireland he started okay. the organisation Pickleball Ireland brilliant and he organised the tournament in Multi Farnham and he's fantastic but he's in Donegal there's some courts in Galway. Okay. Um, the nice thing about pickleball is if you have a net, you, you just can see go badminton any, courts. Yeah, just go to right. any gym anywhere, even yeah. a church hall, and you can put it up. Set it so up. it's very mobile, very user friendly. Yeah. Um, there's a couple now in Cork, I believe. So it's spreading. It's good to know that there is a community of pickleball there people. Is. Do yeah. you, would you like to be called a pickleball person? Pickleball. I, I would like to be called a pickleball there's person. There's so many P's. The alliteration yeah, is kind no, of. You know, I love that. Okay. But also on Meetup, <laughs> you know, Meetup that you can go to. Yes. We have pickleball on the Meetup. Oh, brilliant. So we okay. We found a couple of people that way. So we have about 50 people now in Port Marnock playing. Yeah. Um, and That's you're next. nice. And I'm next. I, I absolutely will. I think I'd be really good at dinking. And um, before <laughs> before I let you go, Orla, um, aside from I'm keeping it clean, dinking in the kitchen and playing squash, obviously to a crazy high level, you're also a comedian. Yeah. So I'm going to let you do something that I don't let people do normally, but it's only because we told you not to bash the table, and you've been bashing the table the entire interview. Have I? Yes, constantly. Excellent. So you have. 
wandered into stand-up comedy. Yes. And you're going to be performing this summer at a pretty big venue. Electric Picnic. Tell us I about know, it. She's let me do a plug. That's unbelievable, Orla. So, you know, it's a very random thing. You know, I've, I'm 47 years old mm-hmm. and all my Shh. life, sorry, people have always said, oh, you're so funny. You should be on stage. And, you know, people say that to you. People say that to everybody. Yeah. Because Irish people are just like that. It's my worst nightmare, um, to be honest with you. To get Look on you. to get on stage. Oh my God, you'd be brilliant. No, to get on stage and to talk in front of people and to see whether you're they would laugh at me. Time. No, because this is, we're in a little room and I'm just talking to you and anybody else that's here is just here yeah. doing their own job. And like, I know that people listen, but to see them is different. And yeah. it, that would be my nightmare. Really? But you are, you're very naturally well, funny. Well, so. well once, a friend of mine tagged me um, yeah. Dwayne Dugan from uh, Cherry Comedy do you have a friend who's funny tag them tag a mate so a friend of mine Jennifer Casey Hurst <coughs> um, plug, 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 tagged plug. me no she's probably mad at me now for saying her name oh right okay uh, tagged me and Dwayne contacted me a week later and he's like oh your friend thinks you're really funny why don't yeah. you do seven minutes and I said no way yeah. like yourself you'd be dying and then he said come mm. on this is because exactly I remember we were on the way back from, from Germany, Germany on the plane we were oh, at a tournament what a week we were on was. yeah we were on the way back <laughs> and all of a sudden you had kept it really quiet for the entire week and then yes. all of a sudden you were just like oh I'm just working on my jokes and I was like I'm sorry you're working on your what <laughs> I know it's my first gig seven minutes the next day yeah okay so, so I'm walking into Cherry Wheeland and I, everybody was videotaping me I was sick to my stomach well, we were all sick anyway well, from the week in we Germany why. but yeah <laughs> but um yeah I was sick to my stomach but I was probably the third person on the stage and I had um you know watched the first two and they were so good and I yeah. said how in God's name am I going to follow that but when I got up there I just started talking about stuff that has happened to me in my life yeah. and as soon as you get the first laugh you just breathe yeah. a sigh of relief you know That's you're it. so uptight and then I was lucky I just had laugh after laugh after laugh and it just went super well and so I, can I, you tell me I've seen some of your stuff on- online and I've seen it but I haven't actually seen you in person which I know it's terrible of me I'm a terrible friend no, but can you best. just give me your first your first <laughs> bit that you do on stage well I normally I like to talk about um, mental uh, instability something that happened to me back in Boston and, and it's not funny but it, I sort of I, I use I it in my, your comedy my sort of way of getting through life is laughing at yeah. things that happen um, I also talk about kegling um, which is a, a very important female um, muscular vaginal contraction thing that you must do as you get older and into the menopause she's looking at me like oh my god I just can't out. believe you said that and also I would pronounce it kegling is it kegling well I think it's in America kegling. it's kegling so you know Yanks. as you get to be my age and, and things happen and you laugh like I might maybe squirt that's why I have to go to the bathroom beforehand because I need Orla. to make sure you said I could say whatever I want so the kegling thing goes over really well because I get people in the audience doing a group kegel and everybody including men will sit there and I'll make them do this thing that's amazing I've works. actually been doing it for this entire I interview see, and you're going to feel really good <laughs> later <laughs> Okay, so tell us quickly about Electric Picnic then. Okay, Electric Picnic, um, Emily O'Callaghan has organised this and there are going to be 12 of us. uh, Joanne McNally, as you know. Amazing, she's been on the show, big fan. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, so many blind the Burke, so many amazing comedians. I can't even believe that I'm part of this act. And it's female comedians. It's all female. It's the Thursday night of the opening. In the comedy tent. In the the Hazelwood. um, And it's going to be great. I'm going to do a little Victoria Wood uh, tribute. I've got a piano nice. now. Nice. Yeah, yeah, oh, so amazing. Really it's going to be, yeah, there's so much happening in there's our lives. There's so we much happening. Married. I think we should. <laughs> Orla O'Doherty Brown, thank you so much it's for been coming a pleasure, in. Niamh-mar. And I will see you on court later. We're finally going to get our challenge match played. I know. This isn't a challenge. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it okay. is. <laughs> Thanks, Niamh. 
Okay, so we're back. So, according to Webster's Dictionary, I love this, I love quoting the dictionary, there's been an 11,000% increase in people looking up the definition of pansexuality in the last week, right? 11,000% increase. That's massive. So this is all down to Janelle Monet. She came out as pansexual in an interview with the Rolling Stone, but there's a bit of a backlash now as people are saying that the headline itself, which reads, Janelle Monet frees herself. They're calling that really patronising and yeah, a few people are having some issues with it. So on her new album, Dirty Computer, she addresses sexuality as well as politics and it's being held as the album of the year. So I suppose I want to get your input and your own knowledge of the term pansexuality first. So Leila, I'll come to you. What do you know about this? Because I've been asking people, since I knew I was going to talk about this on the show, I've been asking a lot of people and I got some interesting reaction which we'll come to, but... What is your understanding of the term pansexuality? Well, I think I'm in a unique position because um, I was on first dates and I went on a date with someone who was pansexual, so I would just know a lot about this. No way! I definitely noticed that people around me were very confused as to what the term pansexual okay, meant. Okay, this is fantastic. This is perfect. <laughs> I didn't see that episode of First Dates, so tell me about this. Obviously, um, they must have checked with you first that you were going on a date with a pansexual person or did that come into it? Um, Yeah, I mean, like I definitely said in my interview beforehand that I wanted to be on a date that I was comfortable um, in and like I wanted, I didn't want them to just like shock some, I don't know, some like GAA guy from um, the country like by sitting me in front of them. Um, That sounds perfect for me, by the way. I watched that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was put with a guy who was pansexual and um, we had like a really kind of interesting chat over the dinner about um, his kind of sexuality and stuff and I really liked that. It was kind of just as much focused on him as it was on me. I think that Mm -hmm. A lot of people sometimes are so interested in my transition that it dominates the conversation, whereas um, we both kind of had a story to tell. And I suppose like your story, obviously, you know, gender is is very different to sexual... What's the word? Oh, I, I have Identity. a good one for this. Identity, know. yes. Yeah, gender is who you go to bed as. Sexuality is who you go to bed with. Yes, yes. yes. Okay, so it's, so it's completely separate. But okay. how would you, what would your sexual identity be then? Like, what would your, um, why why can't I think of the word, what your attraction would be? I have always just liked men, so I'm a straight woman. Okay, mm. you're a straight woman. So then you were paired up with someone who was pansexual, so that was a topic of conversation. And yeah. so what was his definition of what a pansexual person is? It meant for him that he just was drawn in by the personality, like um, the kind of their outer um, features didn't come into it. Um, I I don't know if that's everyone's definition. I feel like it isn't. But like his whole thing was that um, like I'm not that interested in looks. I'm just just purely interested in a personality and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I understand. Is that not the definition of love? <laughs> no. Oh, me. <laughs> you old romantic. <laughs> oh, I, I, is, it, is it that there is so... I think a lot of people are are worried about talking about um, issues around sexuality and gender because they're scared. They don't want to mm. offend anyone, you know. Yeah. But there's a big difference in, um, you know, politically correct and then, you know, the intent behind it. So yeah, you can say is. something that um, might hurt somebody in, unintentionally, but if you didn't mean it or if you're trying to learn more or whatever, 
whatever there's yeah. the difference you know well I, I think the thing with pansexuality as well is that it is a relatively new term mm-hmm. as in like I don't think it was being used five years ago and I think that people and Janelle Monáe even said in her interview that she originally identified as bisexual because originally there was only ever two genders so it was male or female and then well if you're bisexual you're attracted to both but now there's gender fluidity there's non-binary like people are identifying in so many different ways that I think pansexual the the gene- like generic term for it is not seeing gender yeah so and being attracted to all genders and all sexualities is it no uh yeah 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 okay Across the board, <laughs> across yeah. the board. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in a in a nice way, it is kind of just. Yeah. I thought I there was like that old person. joke. I hope this is not offensive, but you know, I'm trisexual. I'll try anything. But no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> How was the date anyway? How did you find being on a date with someone who is pansexual? Did it go well? Um, yeah, um, he was very interesting and stuff. We didn't, we, we, there wasn't that kind of romantic connection, so we didn't see each other again. But okay. um, no, it went well. Like it was, it was nice to not have to. Um, like explain like he just sat down and I was identifying as David at the time but I was presenting as female I was in a dress and everything and uh, like he just sat down and I was introduced as David and he just kind of rolled with it which is so just strange for me usually I have to spend the first 10 minutes explaining like I'm kind of in the middle of a transition and blah 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 but um, explaining why your name is David and why you're in a dress yeah and all that kind of stuff and that didn't even come into it no well not until later on and it was me who brought it up like he he didn't seem to be a burning question in his mind at all or anything which was just it was a really unique experience for me dating can be so complicated for me but it was made really simple that day why is dating so complicated um because there's such a misconception I think around dating a trans woman um like uh, people uh, any man who would be attracted to me is scrutinised by society um, like what's your sexuality have you always felt this way um, like all these sorts of things that wouldn't come into play if they were attracted to a cis woman and it just like it scares a lot of guys off like I've spoken to a lot of people online and stuff who are would love to take me out or whatever but who are scared to because and is that like people who maybe you would be out on a night out and they might approach you and talk to you but then do they find out that you're a trans woman and then they kind of pull back or is it dating apps? It, it would be dating apps so like that would be people who like kind of they saw I was trans in my bio which I would always kind of state yeah. they chatted to me they told me like they'd love to take me out stuff like that and then they were too scared um, really? and um, like people that would happen on nights out as well where people would pull back and stuff but I'm not that bothered by that too much okay. um, it's more like I just think it's really upsetting that people would they are attracted to someone they have sought you out and yeah. they would love to be seen with you but they're afraid to be seen with you they're afraid to walk down the street beside you or and what do you mean you... it's I'm sorry yeah no yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, do you mean it's upsetting for you or ups- upsetting that you feel sorry for them I feel sorry for them okay. um, it okay. is a bit upsetting for me as well because it would definitely affect my chances um, and stuff like I am at that age where I should be going out and dating and stuff whereas like it's it became so kind of um, disappointing that I've really pulled back from that now like I'm not on any dating apps or anything anymore um, well, I think they're the worst anyway. Yeah, like, like that's across, not a unique experience to be disappointed with dating apps. But I mean, what about previous relationships you've been in? Have they, you know, have you ever felt that in, in relationships that you've been in? Or, or is it kind of a, a new thing since you've transitioned that you're finding it? I've never been in a relationship. Oh, have you um, not? No, okay. so we'll see. What do you think it is? Do you think maybe it's just about waiting for the times to catch up? 
I think, yeah, I think that our society is at the point where they see like a transgender person as a person, but they don't necessarily see them as a person who can be in a relationship. It just confuses them and they, they have all these sorts of questions and stuff, which would scare off a lot of mm. men. Like, I, I think there's a certain... um like it, I think it's hard to be a man in certain ways like because you have to be very masculine and you have to own up to all these kind of things and um, being with a trans woman or like uh, their peers and stuff yeah. would be very confused there might be jokes about it and stuff um, I mean Neve, you kind of touched on something there earlier just you said kind of off the cuff like I don't want to offend you or, or something like that but I think that's something that Irish people struggle with mm-hmm. um, and it is you know are we going to offend you or are we going to say something that would hurt your feelings? And I mean, I think deep down the majority of people hopefully would never want to do that, but it is about learning. And I think like pronouns and and stuff like this, people are still getting accustomed to them because, you know, like you said yourself, when when you kind of came out as trans, there wasn't a huge amount of people in the public eye anyway Mm. that you could relate to. So, I mean, are there any things that are definitely a no-no in terms of that you would be completely offended by straight off the bat? Not really for me, actually. Um, the like I would have always been quite understanding and stuff. Like I, I understand that there are people who are very uncomfortable with certain questions and stuff. But I've always been very open. Like um, I, I can tell pretty quickly if someone's trying to be disrespectful or whatever. Yeah. And most of the time they're not. Um, and what are and the questions that you get, kind of mostly then? Um, like people would ask about surgeries and stuff. Um, Is that not rude? Like for them to ask you that? I think that's such a personal question. Um, yeah, a lot of people see it as a personal question. My, I myself just don't feel that way. But okay. like, I think that is a no-no for a lot of trans people. Like, yeah. don't ask about surgeries or whatever. Myself, I've just been asked it so much. Like, I think maybe because of the time I I started transitioning in, like it was just a question that was on everyone's mind. Um, so I'm just kind of used to it now. Right. Um, why? Why was it the time? Why was there like something? All we really knew about trans people back then was that they were like um, one gender who used surgery to become another gender. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, like our understanding of transgender people would be like they identify as another gender, like they don't have to medically change yeah. themselves or anything. But I think back then it was very like it seemed almost like a cosmetic thing or something like that. If that makes sense, yeah. Um, so as in like like a boob job or something like something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, it's got nothing to do with that. Yeah, definitely. I, so you don't find that offensive if someone was to ask you about the surgery or anything like that? Not personally, no. A better woman than I am anyway. <laughs> and all of this goes back to, you know, Kinsey scale. You know, they did this massive study on sexuality in the yeah. States. Um, was it the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s? And they Kinsey discovered that there's this scale. So um, on one to ten. So if you used to say one is absolutely 100% straight, ten is absolutely 100% gay. So uh, there's very, very, very few people who are either totally one or the other. Most people are in between and that's mm. they could be a three so they might go out and you know what I mean and like try something one night or find somebody attractive in a yeah. video or or there could be somebody yeah. who would be in relationships then they're a lot further up the scale but like they've put people sitting down in front of pornography men and women and they've showed the vast majority of men get turned on by male f- pornography and women by women pornography and vice versa and that like was the 60s so that was yeah, a long yeah, no, time they, they, ago yeah, yeah they've done that, that they identify that a lot of it in between is muddled yeah he was yeah. well ahead of his time so it's just there's a lot of fear you know what I mean yeah. and I think when you when even asking the question about your surgery and that I mean it's just people are obsessed with sex and what that means yeah, and trying yeah. to get their head around it you know and I and they've 
they've done studies as well to show that you know people who who um, are very homophobic they they are um, they have tendencies to be um, within them homosexual as well. So yeah. there's that fear of that kind of you know suppressed kind of element of them as well. So my skill know. bully came out to me. Yeah, like that was I had that's incredible solid proof of. So this like, was a boy that was bullying you in school. Yeah, and he came out to you in the end, like when he graduated. No so. way. I mean that's kind of just a classic isn't it it is a classic it was so stereotypical it's shown you a massive lesson for the rest of your life and anytime you you know what I mean that Mm -hmm. there is always something there's the two emotions people move towards it's either fear or love Mm. and so you just have to ask somebody what are you afraid of did you feel feel compassion for him or or did he put you through like too much at that point I felt compassion for him um, like I reluctantly felt compassion for him um, like when I heard kind of his story and stuff like that I mean it's not easy to be um, different um, in Ireland during those times I think it is getting a bit easier now hopefully for the people growing up but like I mean the most anyone had heard of was gay and maybe bisexual in school and stuff and like I went to a country school and that wasn't accepted like I I was the first out gay at the time I thought um, person in my skill like ever and uh, it was like I, I had to go through a loss because of that yeah I think it's really interesting what you said though you never actually know what people are like I highly yeah. Yeah. doubt Layla that you were the only gay person in that oh, school oh I wasn't you were probably <laughs> you were I'm probably like, really? yeah you were probably the only person who was essentially brave enough to be themselves but since transitioning and um, you know being an open trans woman in Ireland now what is that like for you, like walking down the street? Are you finding it's a big change? Is it very different to when you're identifying as male? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a big change. Um, but, like, I was always, like, kind of an odd-looking male um, because I was very I was very androgynous and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, And, like, I would have had a lot more harassment back then. I, again, I lived in the country, so, um, like, maybe that was a factor too. Yeah. But um, coming up here and kind of presenting as female and stuff um, I found that I would get street harassment I found that I would also get people coming up to me and saying oh you're great and stuff like that I, like when I'm really? doing my shopping That's so or weird. something <laughs> and it's kind of funny but it's like it's it's kind of weird as well because I'm like you think I'm great for just getting out of bed this morning and coming out in public like but um, the yeah I like what get, kind of age range are we talking about these like oh, really like, um, old, older. like the older people um, wow. like who just, maybe have read an article or something and want to so they support and it, it's lovely um, it is but it's nice but it's also <laughs> it's probably, just a bit weird but maybe they don't feel as threatened anymore that's there you true. go yeah, you that's know? Very they're true. more comfortable with yeah. themselves I mean so Irish though as well yeah. <laughs> like when you think about it if you're just if you're just doing your shopping and also you are a model as well mm-hmm. so I mean what's that like being a trans model in Ireland at the moment there's not that much yeah what's the work like market for okay. it um, like recently I was put forward for a bridal shoot um, and when they found out that I was trans um, I was booted back out of it like um, yeah um, like they they used an excuse like you're not the right figure or whatever but it was like it was definitely because of my transition or whatever there are are trans models now who are making huge names for themselves in the industry yeah I just don't think it's hit Ireland yet okay like my agency like they're they're kind of like I would be the first that they've had and they're kind of like wondering how to present me like do they state that I'm trans when they're putting me forward for a job or not 
I, we've kind of come to the conclusion that they should since the bridal thing like that okay. really affected me um, yeah. but but is there not like is that acceptable on the grounds of somebody's sexuality or gender to turn them down for a job I'm pretty sure it's not it's you know? probably not no um, yeah, yeah I, I, I just don't think it, it's kind of a cool thing yes I don't mm. uh, not a cool thing but I don't think it's kind of like what was the phrase like about two years ago it hit the like trans trending was like all over the fashion world like there were trans models put everywhere and like it, they kind of blew up and they're still in vogue to this day um, like, so it became uh, almost uh, fashionable yeah kind yeah. of um, or at least the, trans people were projected into the limelight a bit more um, mm-hmm. like flicking through the magazine like I would see my magazine I would probably see a trans person in almost every magazine now yeah. whether it's modelling whether it's an article and that's great um, but I just don't think Ireland is there yet and I, I don't I, I was kind of surprised um, I did think that I might get a bit of work right. when um, I started in the modelling agency and stuff but I haven't actually gotten that much it's more just been personal What's good is that maybe you might be a part of something that's going to change it Maybe, you know? Maybe your so. vision is too small maybe rather than going for little shops and boutiques you actually need to go for a really big brand who mm. would have the confidence and yeah. to be able to, to mm. say you know what I mean like I don't know, I don't want to name any big brands, but there are loads of them, you know. Yeah, that, you know. absolutely, mm. yeah. I mean, I think it is definitely a good thing that you're involved in it anyway, and you never know, maybe Ireland will catch up eventually. Mm-hmm. Let's hope. Before I let you go, ladies, I do want to quickly mention a new book that has just been released. It's by friend of the show, Louise O'Neill, and it's called The Surface Breaks. I haven't read it yet, but I have spoken to Louise about it, and essentially it's a feminist retelling of the Hans Christian Andersen classic, The Little Mermaid. And when Louise was writing the book, she did stay close to the original, um, rather than the Disney movie, which we all know. Um, but I do think it's such an interesting topic, but mostly because it makes us look back on our own childhoods and reassess the women, I suppose, that we idolize as children what do you guys think I mean if we're really really going to look at Ariel she was my favourite character when I was a kid growing up and it makes me kind of sad when I think about it now because she did chop her legs off essentially in order to to get the guy you don't agree I, well, it was my favourite as well it was my favourite and Beauty and the Beast I, I love the two of them but I, I wouldn't change them for the world well by the way I think fantastic Louis, yeah. I'm a big it's such uh, an interesting idea that she's that she's written yeah it. no absolutely I'm yeah. a big fan of, of anybody who basically writes a story I think that it's mm. a lot to, to um, it's a, a very very brave thing to do you know what mm. I mean I haven't I haven't read the book I've heard great things about Louise O'Neill yeah. the, there is a lot of talk now about fairy tales from years ago and whether they're you know they're feminist or not obviously a lot of them weren't but I still wouldn't change them they're fantasy for a reason they don't make sense in real life they're not meant to they're escapism and I'm I'm, you know this goes back to you know you know that bad feminist idea there's no thing as a bad feminist either you like what you do or you're you know you enjoy something you can get entertainment out of something or not and for some reason and I don't know why and this was spoken about uh, women are entertained and get a kick out of these things whether it's like uh, small girls with fairy tales growing up on the likes of uh, The Little Mermaid Mm -hmm. or when we're older and Fifty Shades of Grey. No one has addressed that huge (laughs) industry. Yeah. She's one of the biggest selling female writers of all time has made millions out of that. Oh those books are shit. They're so bad. I've never read any of them but they're based on treating women in a particular way. Mm -hmm. So dominance and um, being oppressive you know or submissive and all that type of stuff. And so I 
interviewed a guy in the last couple of months. He, he used to work for Google. He was a, sorry, do we have time? Yeah, this? no, yeah, of course, yeah. absolutely. He used to work for Google and he, in the data section, right? And he said, he, he said basically people lie all the time, okay? We lie to our lovers, we lie to our, our husbands and wives, our friends, we lie to ourselves. Absolutely. Even when we write a, uh, fill out a questionnaire, we're still lying because we kind of want to look good. For some reason, psychologists figure this out. So the only place you really tell the truth, really tell the truth, is Google. Uh, when you're asking a question or you're trying to find something out or you're looking do some people think That's this way That's terrifying but it's true. Yeah. yeah. So he he basically got together all of this information to find how what we really, really are like and he was like we're much meaner we're much more sexist we're much more prejudiced than anybody lets on. Yeah. But one of the really fascinating parts and it was so interesting that he's going to completely delve into the sex side of it because he got so much out of it. He was looked at pornography and the biggest um, uh, porn site on uh, the internet is a thing called Pornhub. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so he found that far more women are searching the likes of domination Mm. or rape or, um, you know, uh, like fantasies where basically it's rough sex than men. Far, far more women. And we have to ask why this is but Jermaine Greer tried to address this week and she got annihilated people don't even want to have the conversation but for some reason women get a kick out of this in all my books I have at home um, the, you know there's like lots of classics I've read there's often scenes with, with um, which would depict rape or a lack of consent okay. and these are part of you know really uh, well known books and uh, they're you know aimed at women as well and so, so it's we fan- have to ask, fantasy essentially well, so why are women going looking at this for fantasy obviously they don't want to happen in real life but we have to address that well, as well. Well maybe they're sick of Snow White and the feckin' prince coming to save them all the time. So you know, so, you, know you talked about so there is something mm. in, that needs to be to, but yeah so it is we do want that for some reason yeah. escapism or and that goes for fairy tales as well we don't want everything absolutely PC and perfect at the end. You know there's a lot of women who feel like they want to be won over by a yeah. guy whether it's out in the dating world and, that, and there's a lot of guys who feel that they want to win over women as yeah. well. There is that dynamic that goes on there that is not just uh, um, that is it's nature as well it's not just nurture you know there's they've shown this in the animal kingdom as well these things are kind of hard to talk about now because no they don't fit in with this this picture that there's you know that this um, that people are putting out there now but I'm just saying that there is something in that that people want to see it's true like. though it's true though Neve, because it is a, a difficult conversation to talk about that mm. because no woman at the moment wants to admit no, it gets everybody's back up yeah, you know yeah. because so. obviously things are changing at the moment in terms of you know the way that we're depicted in the media and the things that we're allowed to say and obviously everything that happened with the different cases that have gone on the time's up and the Me Too campaigns. So yeah, nobody wants to say that I'm a damsel in distress, but... You don't even have to be in distress to want to be kind of wooed or a guy to make an effort and a guy for some reason, you know, often feel like, you know, I, I want to be the one that kind of, you know, goes after them a little bit as well. Would you feel the same, you know, when you're... It's nice to feel somebody, you know, that would make an effort or, you know... Yeah, I I've, to- I have very skewed ideas of femininity, like, which is something I've kind of realised. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm the best example, but yeah, like in the dating world and stuff, I would want to be wooed and like I mm. would want to like um, I would want a kind of a, a guy who was a bit more like of a dominant personality than I would be, which yeah. um, it would be hard. But um, yeah. I think I've really had to kind of study that and wonder like that's just my idea of what a woman should be and like that's There's nothing wrong that with that as well. Like there's nothing wrong with like owning that and accepting it, I suppose. 
you know I don't know I suppose I come from a different place in terms of like I've been in situations like that and they haven't exactly gone well so I'm more so of the vein of like don't save me I don't need to be yeah, saved yeah. You know? no, and I don't even mean about saving yeah. me you could be living a great life and mm. be happy as Larry but you still want a guy to make a bit of an effort in the same way as guys might say quietly among themselves because you can't really say this that they don't like girls throwing themselves at them or being very much in their face they like to make to have to make that bit of an effort there is a bit of a dance that goes on the dating game in the mating world it goes on in the animal kingdom as well it's not just there is part of it that's nature whether we like it or not it's definitely interesting what you said though about how we all kind of lie about different things (laughs) though I mean that's right on the money like because I'm cooking for someone this weekend and I lied I told him that I could cook and I can't at all like full blown I've lied to him he's expecting this incredible meal I don't know how to cook scallops and I told him I was going to make scallops for him which is also the hardest thing to cook oh by the god way. no you should yeah. have gone for something easy like I think goats I need, cheese and toast oh, and honey it's perfect and it works very well okay. it never goes wrong I'm probably so. going to get those recipes That's off you afterwards but I'm going to need to talk to that Google guy as well to find out Fast, more he has a book out called Why We Lie and it's all in it about how we're all far more of, of and by the way you should see some of the other fantasies if you think that's bad that um, uh, people are are googling it's fascinating really yeah fascinating so um, nice. uh, yeah though, though, you know I'll give you one example there's um, well, why uh, no, sorry um, is my boyfriend what was the most common way to finish that sentence is my boyfriend that question what do you think I don't know oh, most don't people know. would say cheating is my boyfriend gay is what most women are worried about so what really? we spoke about earlier wow, as well okay. is my go. boyfriend gay yeah yeah, yeah. wow and that's, that's just so the mild ones we can mention on air so there yeah wow okay well I'll definitely look into that that is all the time we have for this week thank you so much to my guests Neve Horan and Layla BC Shane Dempsey was on sound this week thank you so much to Fiona Delaney and Kat Stewart I'm Neve Mar, and we'll chat to you next week <laughs> 